Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman, and making his way through the Speed Force is our guest for this episode, Gabe Lamplabella. Welcome back. Glad to be back. Uh, You know, I think one day you and I are going to be talking about some really good stuff, but I don't know if today's that day. No, no, probably not. Uh, (laughs) Gabe, we're talking about kind of the two big movies that are coming out this weekend, one of which is The Flash, the long-delayed, much pre-discussed, maybe even artificially hyped superhero blockbuster of the summer um and we'll wrap things up with a talk about elemental the new pixar movie um i i think just a a brief preview for both um i did not enjoy either of these movies um but uh i think you uh had had got a little bit more out of them than than i did so this will hopefully be a maybe you can kind of rush to the defense a little bit well, you know, Jesse, I, I, you're, you're giving me some serious praise here. I, I won't go as far as to say I got more out of them, but what I can say is I got more out of the one I wasn't expecting to. Okay. Um, and and I guess we might as well just dig into that uh, Scarlet Speedster, the Flash here. Um, I'll just say this. I think this is a perfect crystal clear definition of overhyped yes so i'm trying to think of how far back to to contextualize this i mean i feel like our listeners have kind of known there i've been hearing sort of rumblings about this movie um for the last like several months of like oh it's test screening amazingly you know Warner Brothers is saying it's like one of the the highest scores they've ever seen for a DC movie. James Gunn, who's now running DC, is very excited for it. There was that report that Tom Cruise had seen it and was like Stephen King. Yeah, there was like this is the movie we need right now. They showed it at um CinemaCon, the kind of movie theater convention in Vegas, and there was this sort of big uproar of praise. Um, a very similar strategy to kind of what happened with uh, Top Gun Maverick last year of sort of like building hype for that movie early, like a month before it came out and kind of like beating the drum for this is going to be the movie of the summer. And it seemed like Warner Brothers was kind of trying to repeat that uh, that strategy, um, even though I think I think I could argue that that sort of makes sense in hindsight, because this probably is the most expensive kind of most you know in a business sense important movie on the warner brothers calendar this year in in sort of definitely helping kind of like relaunch the their dc properties in some way um there's of course we really don't have time to get into it but people can look it up because it's readily available online the controversy with uh star as ezra miller ahead of time and uh, they having all of these various charges from across the globe and like a couple years worth of uh, bad uh, headline controversy sort of heading into this movie. And there is this sort of, you know, 
ongoing debate online that I don't know that I really ever bought into because this movie was so expensive of, oh, are they, you know, going to remove they from the movie and, you know, are they going to reshoot it with someone else you know what's going to happen are they going to release right. this movie when your big star you know has all of these various charges um like i said people can look up online it's pretty easily available um what all they is being accused of but um the movie arrives and i i sort of get all of that out of the way to say like i really had kind of none of that in my head as i was watching it um I, my my first sort of thing I'll sort of spit out about this. I don't know that this movie has done any favors by coming out like so soon after Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is another multiversal superhero story with multiple versions of different characters and very similar kind of thematic ideas that it's grappling with about like, you know... If you change things in one universe, is this catastrophic ripple effect that goes towards all the others. And um, I, I just feel like that movie was both incorporated those ideas and explored this kind of multiverse concept in a more imaginative way, was a more aesthetically uh, jaw-dropping movie to to just have wash over me. And I even think the emotional stuff works better than it does here in the flash. But um, I'm curious to you, what were your expectations into going into it? And even kind of a side question, does the flash matter to you? Like, this is kind of something I'm curious to hear what people are, have to say, like going into this movie is like, is, is this a character that means that much to you? So short answer. No, no. The, the Flash was not a, a staple character for me that, you know, was a, a cultural childhood kind of touchstone. Right. Um, but I was intrigued after, you know, the, the many different thoughts and, and stances on this movie. And Michael Keaton's Batman means more to me yeah. than than The Flash. Um, and I don't know, have you ever seen any of that CW television show? So funny you should mention I used to work at a CW station when I was in college and like briefly right after. So I never watched the show, but I was very I I'm very like constantly aware of it and I think one of the reasons I never watched it was I kind of felt like I could absorb what was happening by just like working at the station that it played on. Right. Um but so yeah, that's my my long answer of I've never like actually sat down and watched the the Flash TV show, but the the Flash TV show was omnipresent in my life for about a good two years at one point. Right, right, and and going into that, and and neither did I. I was not an extensive watcher of the CW show. I know it was kind of beloved by a lot of people. Yeah, but I know we've been on here talking a lot about you know the Snyderverse and the the fan anticipation let's say surrounding that and the problem here is that the movie that we were being sold by these early reactions is only given to us in fits and starts and direct i know director andy muschetti has just got announced to be handling uh the new batman mm-hmm 
And that, that leaves me with trepidation because I feel like the thing that works best in the flash is the drama over the comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting to see Keaton back is great. Um, I even like Sasha Callie's version of Supergirl quite a bit. We'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> but my issue is it just takes so long to get there. And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people praising Ezra Miller's dual performance. But they are just never as compelling as a screen presence to me. Yeah. And separating, you know, the art from the artist, what we know about his personal life and personal experiences, it just made it very difficult for me to try and root for him as a hero. Yeah, and I, I I definitely agree with you that... I, I was kind of explaining this to people because a lot of people in my life were kind of asking me how this was based off of the, the the sort of early hype after I saw it. And the two questions weirdly were, how is Michael Keaton's Batman? In, in which I maybe to, to tease a conversation we can have in a bit, I think I replied, you know what? Might be the best Batman. He he just might be the best, the best per, or, you know, the person who's done it best in the role. Um, and then my other kind of sneak comment was, I think this movie is really going to live or die by how how much Ezra Miller you can really take. Um, and that is to say that Ezra Miller has a, you know, they's performance in this movie is, <laughs> it's very jittery. It's very like fast talking. And as you mentioned, there are two Barry Allens in this movie. So yes. th- th- your your mileage will vary, I told people, as to how much um how much Ezra Miller you really want. And I have found him or I have found they like charming in um some other stuff like, you know, I I thought Ezra Miller was charming in the um the Zack Snyder Justice League movie, which is a movie I don't particularly like, but what that 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 character was good in that small amount of dosage and then when I have two Ezra Millers bantering and being twitchy for 2 hours, I very quickly learned like this this is something that like a little bit goes a long way for me. So I I think that'll be different for each person. But just like the performance Ezra Miller is giving in as the Flash, I I think to to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying, it's Ezra Miller doing a lot, and your mileage is really going to vary on like how well you're willing to like roll with like a performance that's someone really playing to the rafters. Well, and just to take a quick side note, I will say if if anyone is interested to see a good performance from them, um, check out Perks of Being a Wallflower from several years ago, because that's the same sort of almost broad, I hesitate to use the word schizophrenic, but just bigger performance like this Barry Allen is mm-hmm. that translates into more of a, a personal way and it's really really effective but at the same time you know we're talking about ezra miller's performance the flash is a 100 two hour two and a half hour movie so there is a whole lot of plot here for us to get through mm-hmm. and i just never found the balance of the flash story 
versus the multiverse story to quite hit the stride like I wanted to. Like, I know there's a lot of, of emotion in the film surrounding Barry trying to go back and save his mom. And we spend a lot of time with Barry before we get into some of the more interesting supporting players. Uh, ben Affleck pops up as Bruce Wayne again and probably delivers one of the better Batman portrayals in a brief amount of running t- running time that I've seen. Oh, interesting. Because I got the vibe from him that, like, <laughs> a- Affleck really, really, you really, really see on his face, like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm helping you people. Like, I'm coming in for two days. Like, he, he is, like, very, very, I think when people asked about, like, you know, if anyone's expecting a kind of, like, Spider-Verse, like, oh, I'm going to get to see multiple Batmans and, like, multiple Superman on, on screen, multiple versions of any character other than the Flash, you know, there's there's no Michael Keaton interacting with uh, Ben Affleck, even though I guess that's kind of no. a spoiler, but you know, Ben Affleck very, very, very briefly, like, pops up in the, in this movie. I should I should make that, that ca- and, and I had an opposite reaction of you of, like, I kind of chuckled a little bit at just uh, Homeboy's been very public that he is done with this, and, like, this was kind of a mistake on his part, and the, it's really the uh, the performance equivalent of the Arrested Development, like, Job, I've made a huge mistake thing <laughs> line. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I can't defend anything. And Affleck himself even said, you know, I'm in the movie for all of ten minutes. Right. And it's it's the closest I ever felt to getting the character right. And I would argue as a lifelong Batman fan, you know, say what you will about Affleck's willingness to be there. This is probably the closest to the version Zack Snyder wanted to portray. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we're given so little with him and the film really, really wants to be a Marvel movie. And really wants to have that same jokey tendency of a big budget summer blockbuster. And it doesn't quite, the jokiness doesn't quite work as well with the drama for me. Like once Barry runs into Michael Keaton and Sasha Cali, I think that's a much more interesting dynamic. But it's over an hour into the movie. So we've had to sit through a lot of, you know, Ezra Miller basically performing against themselves versus, you know, jokes in Central City that never quite land for me. I will say the opening big action sequence with with Ezra Miller and Ben Affleck trying to save babies out of a hospital right. is clever and well staged and ends on a great joke, I think, to really set up set up the abilities. But after that everything be- essentially becomes weightless. And I would say Michael Keaton is at least able to deliver some some gravitas to this kind of empty calorie entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a prison escape sequence that I thought was a lot of fun. And I wish the movie had more of that sort of energy. Um, and to any of those, you know, childhood Keaton Batman fans here, you're going to see this Batman in more action sequences than he was in both of the Tim Burton Batman movies. So there's there's a lot to like. But I want to pick your brain on something. Sure. If the visual effects were anything like they could have been, do you think we would have we would be praising this movie differently from a technical perspective? 
Maybe, which is an interesting thing for you to bring up, because I definitely thought this movie looked kind of bad and just like CGI goop for most of its running time. Um, And it's even been weird. Annie Muschietti, the director who most people probably would recognize from, he made the two It movies uh, at Warner Brothers. Um, The first one, which I really enjoyed, and the second one I didn't enjoy at all. But, you know... um, uh, he's even kind of commented on some of those concerns and said it's like all in intentional. Um, although I, that, I don't know, even if it is intentional, it's sort of a, a choice that still looks bad. Um, I, I don't buy that personally for a second. That, um, that feels like the kind of thing, like the two things that made me think of were, um, the comments around one of the Jurassic world movies of colin trevorrow being like yeah it's supposed to be arch and kind of like knowingly you know just having all this product placement and it you know tried to spin one of those movies as like a gremlins 2 satire and i went back and watched it was like i i feel like i'm watching a different movie than you made this is like not this seems like you trying to justify uh criticism people had of it and then the other thing i thought of which I do think is more intentional or rather like the criticism doesn't really hold in this place was, I don't know if you remember after like Wolf of Wall Street came out, there were all these criticisms of like the editing like doesn't match up in certain scenes and um, Scorsese and Thelma Schoonmaker kind of said like, well, that's intentional because all the characters are taking drugs. And so it's supposed to be like, you know, throwing you off a little bit. And even if that is a last minute defense, um, I think you only really notice in that movie if you're really looking for it. Um, and that's maybe a, a, an example of, you know, sometimes you got to edit to the emotion of the scene as opposed to like the continuity of the scene, but that's a different conversation. But yes, the, the Annie Muschietti's defense of why this movie looks like, you know, weird, like people standing in front of green screens and just kind of goopy bland CGI everywhere. I, I thought, you know, I I don't buy his defense if that makes sense, or if I do buy it, it still looks bad. Well, and it's the sort of thing to where I I would be forgiving if the third act wasn't just a CGI, as you said, and I really like this turn of phrase, goop fest. Yes. Um. I mean, it's essentially p- putting all of these characters in an empty location and letting the CGI fireworks go off. Yeah, um, it really I, makes you notice how. You know, I don't think it's any spoiler because it's in the trailers. Like the big climactic battle is in this just open desert in like broad daylight. And it just sort of looks flat. And, you know, a lot of times it's it's sort of the inverse of when people sometimes complain about like, well, why does this blockbuster movie look kind of murky and dark? And sometimes, you know, the people who make our movies will do that to sort of mask that the effects might not like you know you can make an effect look a little bit better if you add some some dark lighting and stuff like that and this is sort of the opposite approach of like it's all open in broad daylight and is in a pretty boring location and it just kind of looks like people standing in front of a green screen as like a video game cutscene happens behind them it's it's like really really unconvincing and you don't buy at least for me, I don't buy like any of those people actually in that location, and then just sort of looked like you know, like blobs of nonsense everywhere. It's 
PS2 video game cutscenes. Yes, exactly. And at the same time, you know, you, I can see folks after the mo- seeing the film this weekend making this argument that certain moments in that look cool. And I would argue some of the movement and basically imagery of Keaton's Batman in those sequences is pretty solid. And for what what it is, I think it gets the job done and delivers. But for the Flash movie, mm-hmm. um, to make your central character look like a PS2 avatar, that's a problem. Yeah. And at the same time, in that final act, and I should preface, we're being very careful not to get into time multiversal spoilers here. Yeah, I think I think we can kind of, I'll throw up a warning and we can kind of do that here in a bit after I give kind of okay. a, a general summary of the movie, but we can we can start broad right now. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. But I would say just as the, the film goes on, we get into more heavy visual effects mm-hmm. and heavy emotional beats. And I just never quite cared in the way the film wanted me to with everything looking, as you said, so flat. Mm-hmm. And especially as we, we get closer to the ending and there are cavalcades of cameos and things, mm-hmm. none of those registered with me as, as feeling important in the way the film wanted them to be. Yeah, I'll I'll dive into more of those in our spoiler section. That way I can be a little bit more um, specific and less beating around the bush and how I talk yes. about them. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll give a sort of general summary of the movie and then we can kind of like dive into certain beats that we liked or didn't like. Um, it's, it's, as I understand, very heavily based off of the kind of flashpoint arc, um, from the flash comics, uh, essentially at the start of the movie, we see Barry Allen is a full on justice league member, um, occasionally is helping Batman when Batman needs, you know, like someone to kind of do some cleanup work while he's actually out catching the bad guys. Um, meanwhile, Barry Allen is trying to get his father out of jail, who has been wrongfully uh, convicted for the murder of his mother. And in the middle of one of the kind of like opening action set pieces, um, the one you were describing where, uh, him and Batman are trying to save this kind of like burning, collapsing hospital and get back this, you know, this suitcase that has some sort of like deadly virus in it or all right. Other, you know, th- this whole big um, a MacGuffin, ch- yeah, MacGuffin chase sequence at the beginning of the movie. Uh, Barry Allen realizes that he can actually go so fast that he can stop time and maybe even go backwards in time, which gets his wheels turning, thinking hey, can I go back in time and prevent my mother's death and thus save my father from a a life being wrongfully convicted behind bars? Uh, Batman, of course, tells him that's a terrible idea, as anyone in any time travel movie ever has said. And uh, Barry does it nonetheless, goes back, prevents his mom's murder, but in doing so, causes a ripple in the multiverse and then winds up in uh, a universe where there is another version of him um, also played by Ezra Miller. Um, There is no Superman. I guess, is that a spoiler? No, no, I wouldn't say that's a spoiler. There's Um, no Superman. It's, it's the time he has uh, wound up at is right before. um, If you remember man of steel, 
uh, General Zod is about to invade Earth, and Ben Affleck is no longer Batman in this new changed universe. It is Michael Keaton reprising his role as Batman, um, and Supergirl is also in this universe as opposed to Superman. I don't think that's a spoiler that's in the trailers. And so essentially, Barry Allen has to sort of wrangle and form his own kind of version of the Justice League in order to fight Zod and potentially stop that from happening. And as the movie goes on, there's more and more musings over what you can and what you can't change in through time travel and through all these multiversal strands. And, uh, you know what, we can just kind of get into more of those as the movie goes on. But uh, are there any kind of immediate things you wanted to jump on just from that kind of like vague summary? Um, no, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I should preface for the diehard Flashpoint comic fans, this is a very loose adaptation. Mm. Um, it, it follows the framework, um, but it just isn't quite a beat for beat rehashing yeah and i would say this also in order to kind of compare it to some of the other dc movies this isn't this doesn't have the sort of brooding oppressive Zack snyder house style um this is a much lighter movie uh, it, it is more in sort of the tone of something like Back to the Future, if that makes sense. Yes. Even though, and they which, even reference right. That there are multiple, multiple references times. to Back to Back to the Future. I thought I had actually like pretty good Back to the Future joke that sort of like pops up um, throughout the movie for anyone who's aware of sort of the making of that uh, of that motion picture. But yeah, that is more of kind of the style that Andy Muschietti is going for. Um, I, 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 which, which is interesting because this was a project that I kind of didn't get into in the context like has been starting and stopping for years and years. And there are various different writers. I believe like Lord and Miller, were going to do a version of the script at one point, I believe. Um, who was it? Grant Morrison, the, the great comic book writer was, was going to do a pass at one point. There's sort of like this long sort of like years and years of multiple different people sort of coming in and out. I think trying to, to crack the script um and but i i would say the version we get now is is meant to be this kind of like light on its feet time travel action comedy much more in the tone of that kind of like amblin back to the future thing as opposed to the sort of like brooding apocalyptic Zack snyder tone that you saw in like justice league and batman versus superman which is a refreshing change i mm. would say and is definitely something this universe has desperately needed Mm -hmm. um and i would hope that as we get onto the future with this kind of being the reset we're being advertised um that we are able to have more of that mm -hmm. but we just need a little bit tighter of a script and a, a better vfx budget yes be before we get there um and with how things leave off here I feel like there's this this idea that the film was going to give us more answers than it actually does. And I think that's going to leave a lot of the diehard fans feeling a little cold. Um, and with especially how the film ends, and again, we'll get into this in the spoiler section. Right. The literal ending. Um, that's going to stir up some conversation. 
mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Yeah. And I would love to know, and we're recording this the Friday the film opens, I would love to know in a week if James Gunn comes out to clarify some things, let's say. Mm-hmm. So time will tell, time will tell. And again, we say all this, we have a mixed reaction. It's going to make all the money this weekend. There is nothing stopping it from that. Mm-hmm. But temper expectations. That's that's the the closing message I think I can't stress enough. Yeah, I think for me, the the part of the movie that I probably clicked into the most was when Michael Keaton shows up. Um, yes, and, me as well. You know, I, I would say he is not in as much of the movie as maybe is being advertised. <laughs> I think you and I talked about um, earlier on, on an episode a few weeks ago, like this movie is kind of just as much being sold as a Batman movie as a flash movie. I think both to maybe not have Ezra Miller in, in as much as the, the limelight as uh they is going through all these various different controversies, but also like Batman's a bit of a safer sell than necessarily the flash is. Um, my kind of immediate thought, I, I hinted earlier, I, I think Keaton's the best Batman we've had. And and that's not necessarily a dig on anyone else. I just think no one else has, he's found a take on this character that I don't think any of the other live action actors have quite tapped into. You know, on, on one side of the aisle, you have, I feel like, Pattinson, Affleck, and Bale doing the like very brooding, haunted approach and then on the other end of the spectrum you have like val kilmer george clooney and adam west doing it much more of this kind of like suave james bond type and keaton's take which i've always been sort of fascinated with is just like this guy's just kind of weird and (laughs) it's just like a weird kind of hermit guy that like lives by himself and has odd interests and you definitely feel this haunted quality about him but it's not he's not leaning into the the trauma as much as like a bale or a pattinson or an affleck is there's a lightness to his performance while also i think you you get the sense that this this is like a pretty odd strange like weird billionaire person um and and i don't know i just think seeing him back in the suit again i feel like he better than anyone else knows how to to work that suit if that makes sense and knows how to express his eyes and express his body and move in in a way that sort of conveys so much while also like saying so little um i just feel like he has the most interesting take on Bruce Wayne of anyone who's been in the role while also I think has found a way to sort of like move and use sort of the the bulkiness of that suit and sort of express through it in a way that's that's better than anyone else who's who's ever been a part of it if that makes sense absolutely and I would say to kind of piggyback off your point he he applies this physicality Mm-hmm. to both Bruce Wayne and Batman that we haven't seen before and to this day haven't seen before. He's kind um, of jittery and like nervous. I mean, it's not as much as Barry Allen in The Flash, but there there's something a little like 
coiled up and wiry about him i find that's that's a good word wiry jittery almost this this where he can't sit still right and i think for for a batman in a way you know if you get really deep and nerdy here with the with the past of the character and kind of the known comic history it works mm-hmm. it works very very well um so so if anything i say see it for michael keaton I guess, although then it, then it just sort of made me want to go back and watch the two Burton movies, which which I really enjoy with with him with him in it. Of like it it my biggest positive takeaway from the movie was just oh, if Michael Keaton just wanted to come back and do another standalone Batman movie, I'd be cool with that. And like if he just wanted to keep oh, yeah. doing this, uh, I think that would be fun. If he he could still make it work and like. You know, I have no idea if Tim Burton would want to come back and do another Batman movie. I don't even know if I would want Tim Burton to come back and do another Batman movie. But <laughs> if we wanted to do a like old Batman story with Michael Keaton, I think that could could work. And it it if anything, him popping up in this movie was just a a, a clarification to me of him having the most interesting take on this character of anyone who's who's played him in the movies and finding this like balance between the extreme darkness that half the people that played the character have done and then the sort of like winking lightness that the other half the people you know he's found the sort of perfect middle to to occupy in that role um where it you know it it seems like he's having fun but also it's not you know he's he's taking it seriously and in a way um absolutely and it's it's a reminder that it's okay for a superhero film to get weird. Yes. And I think there's there's a fear now, you know, living in the Marvel-dominated machine, that superhero movies have to stick to a formula and cannot deviate from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean just in, in terms of the story. That means in the performances as well. And, you know, as somebody who really enjoys the first Tim Burton Batman movie, I won't I won't go as far with uh, Batman Returns. There. Oh, interesting. See, I'm the I'm the opposite. I like the first one, but then Returns is the one that I I think is kind of a masterpiece. But but go on. It, okay, okay. Well, that's the beauty of film criticism. Yeah. Everyone can have their own opinion. Um, it's nice to know that we can still have performances like this and performances that are completely different tonally mm-hmm. from others, and it can still kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as somebody who rewatched both of the Tim Burton Batman movies for preparation purposes before this one, um, it's interesting to see what elements Keaton pulled into this portrayal in The Flash. Yeah. For sure. For yeah. Sure. So uh, I'm curious what you thought about. You mentioned earlier Sasha Callie, who plays Supergirl in this movie. Um you mentioned kind of liking her performance. I I got to be honest. I don't know whether this is her or just this character is kind of written as like a nothing character in the movie. I Supergirl like made no impression on me in this movie. And it is like a great character from the comics, but I thought this was just sort of like such a a nothing burger part of the movie that I I would have been fine if just like it just sort of seemed like an unnecessary thing that was added in there for I, I guess I'll take it back. It would have been a fun twist if they had not sort of leaned on in 
the the advertising ahead of time that oh supergirl is in this movie and you know you're you're leading up to this moment of like they got to get superman to to help them defeat michael shannon's zod and then oh it's not superman in this universe it's supergirl now um like that that maybe would have sold it a little bit better but i i just thought like the introduction of that character here made zero impact and i'm sort of i've sort of been bouncing between in the last couple of weeks whether it is sasha Kali as this character or whether just that 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 character just like gets next to nothing to do in this movie and is like kind of just this ornament put on top so it's tough because i do agree with you yeah i would say in the film she isn't quite given the depth that we were promised and it kind of hints at like wanting to have that like there's there's at least a couple scenes that are i think meant to be these big emotionally cathartic scenes with her and that seem like she's it's it's the end of some sort of arc with her but i as an audience was just like we just introduced her like 15 minutes ago like i'm not really it's it's having to rely on a lot of like pre-existing ip baggage that you're bringing to this character but has not necessarily done the work of making you invested with this version of this character played by this actress if that makes sense agreed agreed and i would say if audiences want to get a better idea on her potential check out the comic book that james gunn has already announced he's going to kind of be pulling from for the supergirl movie the woman of tomorrow okay um because that comic book definitely falls in line with the more grizzled portrayal of supergirl that i think this film is is wanting to introduce us to Mm -hmm. but it also kind of gives us that added shading that is sorely missing from this yeah um and just to do a little shameless self-promotion here Head on over to MovieWeb if you want to hear my thoughts on why Sasha Cali works in this role. Okay. Because I think the potential is really, really endless. And there is room for this portrayal to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's now just up in the air on if she's even going to be continuing the role after this. So only time will tell. Well, let's throw up some... Uh some spoiler warnings right here and maybe we can get into uh kind of what happens towards the end of this movie so i'll throw in a spoiler siren here all right so gabe we get to the final big climactic battle with general zod who we we haven't even really talked about michael shannon who who gives poor michael shannon (laughs) who even more than ben affleck has been kind of like I really had like no idea what was happening and it, I thought I was dead. Yeah. And it was just like, they just called and like, can you come back? And I said like, I guess. And his performance in this seems like he kind of just like zoomed it in, which, you know, good on Michael Shannon. I think he's got better things to do than just be Zod in every movie. Um, and earn the paycheck. Sure. Yes. Yes. So we get to this big climactic battle in the desert both Supergirl and Batman are killed in this big climactic battle. And one of the Barry Allens, uh, the younger one uh, in the movie that, that has been newly introduced into this universe, essentially decides, wait, we can just go back in time and prevent that from happening. And we can keep sort of re-looping this battle over and over and over again until we get it right and defeat Zod. And... 
as we keep seeing this battle loop over and over and over again, we get the sense and the, the older Barry Allen gets the sense that, you know, this is an event we're never going to be able to change. And Batman makes this speech earlier in the movie about how the, the tragedies we go through, you know, they help make us into the people we are. Um, and he comes to this realization of maybe, maybe what I have to do is actually go back in time and sort of undo my undoing. If that makes sense to kind of like, I have to put history back on the right track of (laughs) as, as painful as it is, my mother has to die. Um, and I, I can't be meddling with time because that's going to cause more, uh, headache than it already has. And we get into this multi-dimensional space. Um, feel free to stop me if there's exact terminology here that I'm glossing over. And we learn that there is a third version of Flash that is a more, like, oh, this is where I get into a little bit of the, like, my confusion with the movie, which is the movie never quite, like, lands on a set like time travel rule book of like I, to to me it never makes sense of like is the stuff that Barry Allen is doing changing stuff or is it creating like an alternate bridge or and even the movie seems a little bit as we'll get into here in a bit like kind of breaking its own rules about like how much can he change versus and and have things yes. still be fine but we essentially get to this big climactic moment where there's this evil version of the flash that has been sort of darting around time trying to get get necessarily the perfect timeline where no tragedies happen but has morphed into this like bizarre kind of spiky creature and there has created this rift in the multiverse where all of a sudden we get these different orb planets that are meant to represent these different universes and inside these orbs have various different versions of different characters. So inside one orb, we see, you know, like the 1940s, like serial versions of Superman and the Flash. And in another uh, orb, we see like CGI recreations of Adam of like 60s Adam West, Batman and Robin inside of another orb. We see a CG recreated Christopher Reeve from that Superman universe. And then inside of another orb, we see a CGI recreated Nicholas Cage Superman, which for yes. anyone, for anyone who didn't get that reference, there was um, a Superman movie that Tim Burton was uh, going to be making in the nineties with Nicholas Cage as Superman was going to have this like big climactic sequence where he fights this giant spider essentially. And so, um, that that movie ended up kind of falling apart, and you know, is is a really fascinating history. Is one of the is considered one of those kind of like legendary movies that never happened. Um, but there's there's this whole you know nod to that movie's potential existence in this kind of final CGI filled climactic sequence where different actors are being computer gen- <laughs> are being recreated using computer generated imagery and we're seeing like all of these different universes kind of collapse in on each other and barry allen's got to find a way to kind of put tidily put those all back in a box is 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 that kind of enough for us to kind of digest 
for now. And, th- and then potentially, you know, we can get into there's there's another there's that final little wink at the end where he thinks he's put everything back in the box and then Batman shows up and, oh, it's uh, George Clooney's Batman, which I, I thought was a, a kind of like funny last last sort of uh joke to end the movie on of like oh you think he's he's fixed it and then here's the person that everyone considers like the worst batman and that is absolutely a perfect joke to end on but i can see that scene being over being over analyzed right as to the future of the universe and i think there is a potential redemption arc you can do Mm -hmm. if they choose to do that I don't think Clooney's coming back as Batman. <laughs> I gotta be a, homeboy is set no. on his uh, tequila brand. I don't think he's. <laughs> but it's it's a perfect ending for this kind of unwieldy superhero time travel movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that regard, it really worked for me. You know, there's a critic I like over at the Film Verdict, Alonzo Duralde, that yep. said it best: the first ten minutes of this movie and the last ten minutes of this movie are stellar. Mm-hmm. It's just that chunk in the middle. Right. Where they understand the assignment of what they're trying to make, and they are giving the audience everything they want. It's just a matter of how much you as the viewer want what they are giving. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that in bits and spades. And like that whole multiverse collapsing different dimensions, in theory, that's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. But as separate multiverses, again, to go back to my PS2 graphics comment I made earlier, none of those multiverses, and to all the listeners I said that in quotes, ever registered as feeling like a real a real universe. They all felt like a video game cutscene mm-hmm. to where I never felt the emotion of these universes collapsing. It's It's a good comparison point to the Spider-Man movie um which praised on the last episode and yes that it's mo- fantastic that movie having all of these different kind of easter eggs to various interpretations and, and versions of spider-man throughout our popular culture but that feels sort of integrated into the aesthetics of the movie and it it doesn't feel like you know those reference points if you don't get the reference, it it works just as well. It, it exists. It's all kind of like just part of the the just overarching aesthetic of the movie is having all these different mismatched styles and mismatched versions of Spider Man. And so even if you don't get the reference, you know you know what I'm saying. Like it's it's not there oh, yeah. just as a reference point. I think they're doing something imaginative with it as opposed to here when we get all these different versions of these different characters, even for as much as I like seeing Michael Keaton back as Batman, they all kind of just feel like they're there as a sort of like, you know, to quote uh, a mutual friend of ours, Hunter Heilman on, on this episode, when we were talking about the little mermaid movie, like just dangling keys in front of, of the audience yes. and being kind of yes. like, Ooh, do you recognize this? You know what this is. Um, and I don't ever feel like any of these multiversal elements, you know, if you're going to go to the space of like, okay, what if we collapsed in all of these different versions of these characters throughout movie history, freaking go for it. Like the idea that like, we just get these sort of brief 
kind of acknowledgments of like, oh, here's Christopher Reeve's Superman, which aside from just my own kind of uh, appalling feeling about like us just recreating people as CGI Muppets, which I've always thought was kind of um, yeah gross <laughs> to begin with, even when like Star Wars was doing it. But like, there's just, if you're going to sort of like, undo the deck of cards like you can't put everything back into you can't rebuild the house like once you've done that and there's a way in which this movie is sort of trying to kind of like explode this universe while also sort of tidily put it back together that i just kind of rolled my eyes at a little bit and it's like oh you're really just doing this to kind of get a a, a dangle keys in front of people and get a brief applause it's sort of the issue. I know you and I disagree with the um, the Spider-Man movie No Way Home of like, that's kind of how I felt about yeah. that movie of like, if you're going to do it like really, really mix match styles and really just sort of like embrace the messiness of this, which is why I really love the, the animated Spider-Verse movies is just embrace the messiness, whether you get the reference or not of like, we're wrapping our arms around everything. Um, and yeah, and and making all of these places and different universes feel like they are sort of crashing in on each other um and embrace that as the style of the movie but this doesn't really do that it just sort of gives you kind of nods to like oh you know what this version of this character is you know what this one is and it just sort of feels like a parade of uh kind of fan service moments which as i said i don't think are inherently bad but i feel like you have to incorporate them into the story it can't just feel like this this moment where you're just sort of like trotting them out like actors on a stage at comic-con for like a round of applause if that makes sense well and uh, absolutely and you have to incorporate them for the audiences who might not understand said references Mm -hmm. and the folks who may not know that there was ever going to be a Nicolas cage superman movie right um and again to I guess this is in a roundabout way. This review is us talking about how great Spider-Verse is or how much better Spider-Verse did it. But those references still served a almost contextual point. Yes. In the story. Yes. So even if you didn't get the reference, you still understood its importance in how the story progressed. Right. Here, it's like, like, and... I I have to give credit to Hunter for that dangling keys analogy because that is 100% what the case is here. Mm -hmm. It's almost like somebody's nudging you in the seat next to you saying, do you get it? Do you get it? Yeah. Do you see what I did? And once or twice I can forgive that, but the flash has a lot of those moments. Yes. A lot of those moments. Or if you're going to introduce like, Michael Keaton's Batman, like have the movie turn into a Tim Burton movie at a certain point. Like that's, that's also kind of my point of just like embrace the idea that these movies can have different aesthetics and that you can kind of crash those aesthetics into each other. And that's what I love so much about the spider verse movies. And I feel like this movie kind of cowers away from it a little bit. Um, I also just feel like we get to the end of this movie And it sort of undercuts its own message. This is what I'm fascinated to talk to you about is, you know, Barry Allen then has to re-go back in time, seeing seeing what a mess he's created in the 
the the sort of multiversal strand and throughout time um and he basically sets things in motion to like his his mother is going to die but then there's that brief moment at the grocery store where then he changes things again so that his father will then in the present day they'll they'll have enough evidence to sort of like prove that he did not kill his mother and his father can get out of jail and that just sort of seemed to undercut the whole message of the movie it's like barry allen needs to learn that he can't if he changes anything in time he's going to create this giant mess of unintentional ripple effects but then he just changes something again and then the movie's like yeah but it wasn't that big of a change so it's fine and then we get a fun little george clooney cameo at the end that that just sort of to me also kind of went against the whole sort of message of the movie and again to unfairly compare it to the spider-verse like you know it's a little bit of a unfair comparison because spider-verse ends on a cliffhanger but like that movie is also grappling with this idea of like well there are certain things you can't change Otherwise, you're going to, like, break the entire fabric of, of time in the universe. And some of those things you can't change may be unpleasant. And maybe they'll figure out, a, you know, a way to work around that in a third movie. I'm sure they will. But this movie just sort of seemed to, I, I, I think, offer these kind of, like, contradictory points of logic into, like, how this time travel stuff is supposed to work. I don't know. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, I I think you're you're spot on because the film is trying to wrap its arms around so much mm-hmm. that realistically it just can't answer all of those questions, and mm-hmm. I feel like it misses the focus onto things that don't or won't give the fans the satisfaction they deserve. Right. Um. And and it's a it's a mixed bag. I mean, it's definitely not. Definitely not the epic conclusion and and kind of arc that I think some of those early reviews led us to believe. Mm -hmm. But it also isn't quite necessarily this this disaster at the same time. No, I I don't think it's I admire the intention. Yeah, I don't think it's a train wreck at all. I just sort of think it's it's trying to do a lot and just sort of It just sort of as as an aesthetic object, as as a movie with style, it all kind of looked bad to me. And then I thought, you know, it has this potentially fun idea that I think it it kind of like has a very unimaginative way of of dealing with of like multiversal storytelling only exists for us to do like you know bring bring in other actors to play characters when some actors don't want to come back and to basically just do reference points to other movies and other pieces of pop culture that you might recognize and that just sort of felt a little deflating to me of like oh you guys like don't see the possibilities of what you can do here and then even the emotion doesn't work for me because the whole emotional arc of the movie is supposed to be barry learning that that you know there are terrible things that happen in his life that make him who he is and yet he can't necessarily go back and change those things. 
but then also saying you can go back and change those things and, or and you that, can go and back that kind and of change like, the little things right right and that sort of seemed to like totally you know I think totally sort of undercut a lot of the stakes that we saw throughout the movie, I guess is my larger point. So as we're kind of wrapping up on the flash, can I, can I tease something about another movie that you and I both saw yesterday? Sure. Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny Uh gave me everything I thought I was going to get out of the flash. Interesting. We'll have to talk about that at, off off mic because we okay. don't have time okay. in this episode. Okay, no, but... no, no. But just a little a little <laughs> nugget for the audience. Take of that what you will. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess it'll be interesting to see what this 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 movie does at the box office this weekend. I I kind of have a feeling it's going to overperform per expectations, but I know it's tracking a little bit lower than expected. I think just because some of these comic book movies haven't been doing as well this year as as expected let's talk a little bit about elemental which is the new pixar yes. movie um premiered at Cannes, and uh is i think you know speaking of box office tracking tracking like it's not going to do really well um after a, a you know kind of rough couple of years for for pixar and disney animation with a couple like big bo- i like i know strange world is not a pixar movie but um, Lightyear was last year. The Disney animation and Pixar had two huge bombs last year in Lightyear and Strange World. And then there's been the the whole drama around like a lot of the Pixar movies have just been going straight to Disney Plus. So has that just sort of conditioned people into just waiting around for those to show up on the streaming service as opposed to going to see in the theater? I we don't necessarily have to get into all that, but I think that is sort of the environment this new Pixar movie is is being unleashed into um it is set in a kind of fictional universe this element city i believe it is called yes um that yes. is is occupied by there's air people that are clouds there's water people that are water and there are earth people who are like trees or pieces of mulch <laughs> and then at the beginning of the movie we see immigrating to this this metropolis are some fire people and the fire people set up their, their own little, uh, their own little corner of the city, their own little neighborhood. And most of the drama of this movie is essentially it's, it's meant to be an allegory for like an immigrant story, essentially. Um, and yes, follows Ember Lumen, who is this, the, the, the daughter of the fire couple that we see at the beginning of the movie. Um, she is being, trained to i think set to take over her father's shop in the fire corner of the city fire people are kind of discriminated against in this world um eventually there is a water rupture in their building which uh is disastrous i'm sure as anyone would guess fire and water do not mix but who shows up through the pipes but a a kind of like moppish little water man named wade um and (laughs) this is like one of those movies that it's like i have no idea how to describe this movie without sounding like a total moron um well just for the record you are doing a bang up job in my eyes and you know even though i think you and i are going to kind of differ on on the movie yeah um your description has made me want to see it again um i i mean this this is essentially like (laughs) it is 
this movie is both an immigrant story in that you know taking these fire people who move to this city and are trying to like carve out their own little new way of life in this new world and are trying and the responsibilities that the children of those immigrants feel like they have to sort of take on from their parents as well as these sort of um neighborhood frictions that can happen between different groups of people uh it is also an allegory for interrelational relationships as a romance blossoms between the the fire girl and the water boy um <sighs> gabe i'm just gonna say it outright i think this is like one of the weakest pixar movies i've seen in, in quite a while <laughs> and you know, I have to also credit David Sims at The Atlantic who made this point on on Twitter. I was like, I'm glad I'm not the only one who who thought this. This is probably like not since Cars have I walked out of uh, an animated movie with just more questions than I had answers. Like, I'm, I'm totally uninvested in the sort of story of the movie and just walked out with, wait, nothing about this world makes any sense and like, so if the fire people and the water people can get together, like what are their children? Like if, does that mean like, why can the water, why are the fire people like, can they not get wet, but they can also like hug the water people and like, can other elemental people get together? What are their children? Like if a fire person and a water person have a baby, is it, is it an air person? Because that like evaporates the water or something like <laughs> You know how does the rules of this world work? <laughs> um I I this movie just did not I admire Pixar's commitment to trying to reach out to artists of different ethnicities and backgrounds to sort of diversify the stories that they're telling. And I think in the last 5 or 6 years, the better Pixar movies as Pixar's quality has become more hit and miss, a lot of their better movies have been those that have you know, embraced those stories and backgrounds that are, you know, that uh, of different cultures and different ethnicities, whether it be Turning Red or Coco. So I, I, I admire this movie attempting to do that. I just feel like the allegory of this sort of like elemental city just sort of collapses on itself. And I does not work for me. I did not find the sort of central romance at the center of this movie worked for me at all, which if you're going to build a whole movie around that, like having me buy into a romance is, is central. Um, and it just kind of, I just kind of left being like, I don't know. I would just kind of rather watch the, the version, like West side story. You know what I mean? Like I'd rather just kind of like you're watch right. like the, you know, the Puerto Rican immigrant girl, or I mean, the weird thing about the fire people in this movie is like, they're the only ones that have like a sense of culture and the culture seems mishmashed of like, it's kind of India. It's kind of, you know, Eastern European Jew. It's kind of Asian, but it's not really, it's it's just sort of like vague and unspecific. And like, none of the other elements have their, their own culture. Um, am I sounding like a crazy person, Gabe? Like th these are just the things that were just sort of going through my head. And I was not locked into anything. This movie was doing from a sort of, story standpoint um and and even kind of lost track a bit of the i think allegorical message it's trying to make just because the you know the fictional universe that's being graphed on top of it 
just sort of like felt half thought through in a way and the animation lacking i think some of the richness i think we expect from pixar in certain ways well so short answer no okay um you are you are not too far off i will say the the core relationship that at least got me to bump up my rating a teensy bit yeah on letterboxd um was the father-daughter story that that is the best part of the movie i would i would agree because I think that has more of a genuine truth and relatability than just about anything else in the movie does. That feels feels like it's pulling from someone's experience as opposed to yes. the romantic relationship just sort of feels like vaguely thrown in there, if that makes sense. Yes, 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 yes. I could not agree with you more. Um, the problem is that the problem that I had with Elemental... And, you know, I feel bad kind of making it a, a brief point. Is that Pixar audiences and audiences who are going into animated films are smarter than the message of this movie thinks they are. Mm. And at its core, the message isn't really earned. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we we talked in our flash analysis of essentially what it could mean for, you know, universal rules and and things along those lines. To get a little more hypocritical and preachy here, the the existential themes, kind of like you know, as the flashed out with family that Elemental deals with in family, mm-hmm. feels like something we'd see in an after school special. Yeah. And while it looks pretty, I just don't know if if that's enough coming from a studio like Pixar that we know is capable of more. Right, right, exactly. And and, and, it and ju- that's it, my problem. And it just sort of made me wish, like, I don't know, as I kind of said with the West Side Story disc, like, at a certain point, I just sort of thought, I would kind of just rather see... I mean, it wouldn't bring in families, but I'd kind of just rather see the James Gray version of this. If it's just sort of like a romance about like uh, a Puerto Rican girl who like falls for an Italian or like, you know, a Polish boy or something like that. And like one of them's got to take over the family shop and the other one's got like weird, obnoxious parents and and so on and so forth. And it's maybe a period be- like it, it, it just sort of it felt like it was treading ground that other movies have just done better and yes. it never yep. felt like they found a good sort of fictional allegory to funnel this immigrant love story through you know the other movie i thought of as i was watching this um was zootopia which kind of also which dealt does it a with, lot better right and i feel like with that movie you know the sort of discrimination stuff that this that elemental is trying to tackle i think is handled with more gravitas and and more sincerity and seriousness in um in Zootopia while also the the city of Zootopia in that movie you know the the various different neighborhoods and lo- locations of that city feel more thought through than necessarily they do in Elemental where there seems to be a lot of thought put into kind of the fire neighborhood but then when the characters start going to the sort of larger city, I, I don't know. It just sort of, it there feels like this kind of like 
limitation to the world building that then became distracting at a certain point from the story at hand. Well, and I like your use of the word limitation because I think that limitation of the word world building is focused into giving us a heartfelt story. And again, I say that in quotes, Mm -hmm. but the story never quite reaches the highs Again, to to repeat myself, that we know Pixar is capable of. Mm -hmm. And that we know, you know, the creatives behind Pixar could really strip down and tell us if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's my problem. I think young audiences are going to love, love this. But I don't think it's that universe. From a pure sight gag visual perspective. I guess so. I I would argue yes. Just from the standpoint of, you know, the animation and and how the elements work when they cross paths, Mm -hmm. I I could see a younger audience. And I say this as somebody who had a couple kids and or who had a couple kids in my press screening. Okay, they really seem to respond to uh, the the water elements interacting. Um, Okay the wind elements so little moments i think really kind of reach a a payoff for will reach a payoff for folks but the appeal of an adult audience or the appeal of this being more of a family movie is not there yeah plain and simple yeah it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a disappointment um from you know i i just where pixar is now it just sort of seems a little bit more hit or miss than kind of i mean you these sort of great runs can't last forever and we've been out of i think the great pixar run for for a while i mean i was trying to really think back on when when was the last pixar movie that i really really loved and it was probably inside out um and you know there's been a couple along the way like i liked soul i liked turning red i liked coco those are probably the ones since then that i've i've walked out of being mostly positive but yeah i mean inside out really is the last time that i think i walked out of one pretty blown away by what what i saw and that that felt up to that kind of like peak level of what they can achieve as an animation studio i would agree i would agree i think that was the that was the bar of of what they could do yeah well for sure gabe Thank you for for joining us this this week. Uh, I think we've thank we've you for having me. Run out of stuff to talk about. Um, next week on the show, I believe uh, we're going to do a Wes Anderson episode because I saw Wes Anderson's new movie Asteroid City last night. Uh, it's getting a limited release this weekend, but is going much wider next weekend. So uh, we'll discuss it there to kind of get more in depth into that movie, which I I think will be a really interesting conversation i think this is one of his movies that i i don't know how normal kind of everyday audiences will react to it but i i think it will it will spark i think some of the most interesting writing about wes anderson and and people trying to interpret kind of what this movie is trying to say and and what and how it is speaking to the larger sort of wes anderson project and aesthetic pleasures that he indulges in um i i think it's a really fascinating movie and and i'm you know excited to explore more of it on on the show 
I cannot wait to see it. It's it's not being screened in my area, so I have to have to wait with with the regular folk to check it out next weekend.